Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to insert a quick disclaimer. Today's topic includes mature themes that aren't suitable for all audiences, and as always, we will be discussing some pretty spooky stuff, so listeners' discretion is advised. Thank you for your understanding, and without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Revenge. It's a highly complex and deeply human emotion that all too often runs through the veins of the stories we tell. And like the venom from a viper's fangs, if we let it fester, revenge will almost certainly snuff out all the good in our lives, leaving us only with a petulantly toxic end. Take, for instance, the story of Aaron Burr. Now, if you've seen the musical Hamilton, then you would likely know the name and his story. But in case you haven't, allow me to fill you in. In the early years of the United States, Aaron Burr found himself embroiled in a bitter rivalry with none other than Alexander Hamilton. Burr, a charismatic Democratic Republican, and Hamilton, a passionate Federalist, held starkly contrasting views when it came to how the fledgling country should be governed a fact that set the stage for one of the most turbulent political feuds in American history. The men spent their careers at each other's throats, criticizing and pointing fingers at every turn. But their rivalry reached its pinnacle in 1804, when Burr set his sights on becoming the governor of New York. However, his ambitions were throttled when Hamilton's influence was believed to have played a role in Burr's defeat. This perceived insult wounded Burr so badly that he began to plot his revenge. It was July 11, 1804, when Burr challenged Hamilton to a duel. Thought to be a dangerous practice, forbidden by law, the men were blinded by an unwavering sense of personal honor. So, on that fateful day, Burr and Hamilton walked side-by-side onto a desolate field in Oaxacan, New Jersey. As the sun's rays pierced through the early morning mist, the two adversaries stood face-to-face, their pistols at the ready. Hamilton, a man guided by a strict code of honor, made a conscious decision. He aimed his pistol into the air, refusing to take a life, but making a symbolic statement nonetheless. Burr, however, held no such restraint. He took aim and fired directly at Hamilton, striking him with a mortal blow. In the aftermath, Burr's reputation suffered greatly. The act of killing such a prominent figure like Hamilton stained his legacy, forever overshadowing his political achievements. And so, revenge took the very thing that Burr had been fighting for. Suffice to say, Vengeful actions have the tendency to lead even the best of us down a very bitter road. And more often than not, it's that very bitterness that comes back to haunt us. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. Our story begins on the rolling plains of eastern Kansas, where, no more than 30 miles from the Oklahoma state line, 
there sits a nondescript hill, surrounded by farmland. To the unobservant passerby, the knoll would more than likely slip into the backdrop of the otherwise rustic heartland terrain. But for those of us who remain wary of the paranormal, alongside the true crime obsessed, the large metal sign that sits only a few paces away would likely be cause for intrigue. The Bloody Benders. The words are etched across the copper-colored plaque, notating a title that is every bit as sinister as the story that follows. Quote, Near here are the Bender Mounds, named for the infamous Bender family. Their story is unresolved and remains one of the great unsolved mysteries of the Old West. End quote. So, who exactly were the Bloody Benders, and what could they have done to earn such an insidious introduction? For the locals of Labette County, Kansas, the Benders' heinous acts have become the stuff of legends, a harrowing story that has marred the reputation of their small, quiet town. And at the center of it all, the secrets of the Bloody Benders remain buried, lying silently beneath that very hill. It's hard to believe how welcoming the members of the small farming township had been when the covered wagon rolled into town in the fall of 1870. Although, who could blame them? After all, they really had no reason to think that anything was out of the ordinary. John Bender and his wife Elvira had only recently immigrated from Germany to the United States. Accompanied by their children, John Jr. and Kate, they journeyed to southeastern Kansas and claimed 165 acres of land in Labette County. In the beginning, they appeared to be an ordinary family traveling west in search of the American dream. But as they began to integrate into this small, closely-knit community, well, their new neighbors began to notice some peculiarities about the Bender family. For starters, the family as a whole was a rather unapproachable bunch. Take John Sr., for instance. With his bearded face and morose expression, his neighbors described him as a wild and wooly-looking man. And then there was his wife. Known simply by the nickname Ma, the woman was anything but motherly. Speaking in a thick, guttural accent that was difficult to comprehend, Ma Bender was notoriously unfriendly towards her new community, earning herself another nickname, She-Devil. The Bender children were as equally unconventional as their parents, although they were a bit less recluse. Neither John Jr. nor Kate modeled the thick accent of their parents, and as such, they were much more likable than Ma and Pa. Kate, in specific, was known for her beauty, making her somewhat of a darling in the community's eyes. But even still, Kate was concealing something darker up her sleeves. You see, like many of their neighbors, Kate and Ma Bender regarded themselves as spiritualists. Of course, we are all well aware that the spiritualism movement isn't inherently evil, but it was no secret 
that Kate took the practice a step further, boiling herbs and roots with the sinister intention of casting what she described as wicked charms and spells. So, perhaps this is why the Benders gained an unpleasant reputation, being seen as more of a cult than they were a family. Even in spite of their new neighbor's curious, albeit cautious, eyes, the Bender family wasted no time in getting down to business. Together, they built a quaint one-bedroom cabin in a barn. They dug a well and set up a corral for livestock. And before long, their rural plot of land transformed into a sizable homestead. But John Sr. had something a bit more grand in store. As a matter of fact, he had picked this parcel of land specifically for its location, situated directly along the historic Osage Mission Independence Trail. John saw great potential in the property. The perfect spot for a charming intimate inn that could warmly welcome the countless frontiersmen embarking on their own westward journeys. Or so he told his neighbors and the very guests that he was hosting. But not unlike the benders themselves, the in-suite facade left a rather sour aftertaste. You see, the Benders opened a small mom-and-pop grocery store, identified only by a wooden sign with the word grocery crudely painted across it. The store stocked a few meager items, liquor, tobacco, and produce mainly. But it was here that the Benders peddled their services, offering what they described as a safe place to stay. Then, once these weary pioneers booked their accommodations, they were lured even further into the cabin, enticed by the captivating presence of Kate Bender herself. At the young age of 23, Kate skillfully charmed her guests, coaxing them into the kitchenette and offering them a seat at the dining table, the best one in the house. But little did the travelers know, a sinister plan was unfolding, Standing only a few feet behind them were none other than John Sr. and his son. Concealed behind a canvas tarp, the men waited in silence for their opportunity, with a heavy hammer poised in their hands. By now, I'm sure you can see how the Bloody Benders got their name. After luring them into the cabin, they would wait for their would-be guest to drop their guard. Then, just as they began to feel a sense of comfort at Kate's hands, John Jr. and Sr. would reveal themselves, attacking the traveler with the hammer in their grasp. Once the deed was done, the victim's makeshift throne was removed, revealing a trapdoor that was discreetly placed beneath the dining table. Upon its opening, the trapdoor led to the cellar, acting as a convenient location for the benders to dispose of their handiwork. Then, only when the dust had settled, the benders would descend into the cellar themselves, 
There, they would remove anything of value from the victim's body, all before dragging them out to the orchard and abandoning them in a shallow grave. Together, the Benders claimed at least 11 innocent souls using this horrific method. Although many believe that their list of victims runs much longer. Of course, many were the wary travelers who were unfortunate enough to stumble upon the Benders' so-called inn. Among these victims was Benjamin M. Brown, a stonemason from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who went missing after visiting the Benders' inn on November 30, 1872. Not long after, Mr. H. F. McKenzie of Noblesville, Indiana, followed suit. He had been traveling to Kansas with the intention of buying land. Only those plans fell through after meeting the Bender family on Christmas Day. But this is not to say that the Bender family would exclusively target the frontiersmen who so commonly traveled through Labette County. As a matter of fact, their heinous acts extended to the community as well. Take, for instance, Mr. George Newton Longcore, who had been living locally in Labette County, that is, until December of 1872, when George decided to move closer to his aging parents in Lee County, Iowa. It was a chilly December morning when he embarked on this new chapter. Armed with a few horses that he had purchased from his neighbor, George and his infant daughter set out on their northward trek only they never made it to their destination. Dr. William Henry York, George's friend and former neighbor, became worried when he never heard from George about his travels. So, come the spring of 1873, York saddled up and set out in search of the long course. Despite his valiant efforts, York was unsuccessful in this venture making it all the way to Fort Scott, Kansas, before finally deciding to make the journey home. But little did he know of the trouble that awaited him back in Labette County. It was the tragic disappearance of Dr. William Henry York that would eventually mark the beginning of the end for the Benders in their callous crimes. After all, the township was a closely-knit community where people looked out for one another. So really, it shouldn't have come as a shock when a town meeting was organized at the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. In total, 75 locals from around Labette County attended this public meeting. Among them were the now-notorious John Bender and Son alongside Colonel Alexander M. York. Yes, you heard that right, William Henry's very own brother. And as I'm sure you can imagine, Colonel York was not too happy about the chaotic state that the township had devolved to. You see, in the weeks prior, Colonel York led a contingent of approximately 50 men throughout Labette County. They questioned nearly every traveler they encountered, and knocked on the doors of every homestead along their way, all in an effort to find William Henry York. So, when they arrived at the Benders Inn on March 28, 1873, 
Colonel York, of course, inquired about his missing brother. To his surprise, the innkeepers did admit that Dr. York had indeed stayed with them on his way back home, but only for a short while. They assured the colonel, however, that his brother had safely left their care, quizzically suggesting that he may have run into trouble after his departure. Now, Colonel York had every right to be suspicious, but even so, he gave the benders the benefit of the doubt. That is, until a few days later, when York caught wind of a rumor that Elvira Bender had only recently chased a woman from the inn while wielding a knife. And that, of course, brings us back to the town meeting. Alongside his friends and fellow neighbors, York advocated for action to be taken. After all, it was now quite apparent that Labette County was at the epicenter of this anarchy, meaning that one of their own was responsible for the strange disappearances. So, with that sobering thought hanging freely in the air, the locals could think of only one thing they could do. Search each and every homestead from top to bottom, leaving no stone unturned, until the truth itself finally came to light. The Benders were obviously reluctant to have their property searched. But as the meeting came to a close, they kept their objections to themselves. Instead, holding their cards close to the chest, the men raced back to the homestead to tell Kate and Ma the news. It was three days later when local rancher Billy Toll was driving cattle past the Bender property. And even at a passing glance, it was quite obvious that something was off. The livestock, for instance, was left unattended in their corral, not to mention the crudely painted grocery sign was no longer hanging above the cabin door. So it would seem that the Bender's Inn had been abandoned. In the days that followed, a search party was organized. The township trustee asking for volunteers who were willing and able to spare their time. And while they likely expected a few dozen at the most, the locals of Labette County showed out in the hundreds. Together, these bands of volunteers searched the Bender's property with a fine-tooth comb. Although they didn't have to look very far, to unearth the dark secrets that the family had been hiding. Upon entering the cabin, the search party was struck by a pungent odor emanating from the cellar. It didn't take long for them to find the trap door nailed tightly shut under the dining room table. The odor only grew stronger as the party pried the nails from the hatch-style door. But upon further investigation, they couldn't find any evidence of the nefarious events that transpired in that very room. That is, until the group ventured out into the orchard, where they poked and prodded at the recently disturbed ground. And sure enough, the party made a startling discovery. The remains of the Bender family's many victims. And with that, the Labette County locals we're left with one chilling question. Where had the Benders gone?
According to local lore, the story of the Bloody Benders is every bit as haunting as it is true. As a matter of fact, it is said that their victims still haunt that old unsuspecting hill, consumed by an eternal quest for revenge. Now the unyielding wrath that plagues these long-forgotten souls may well be the consequence of the Bender family's unlikely escape. You see, despite tireless efforts to track the family down, the Benders continued to elude capture, leaving their ultimate fate shrouded in mystery. As the years passed, various sightings and rumors about the Benders would surface, but none were ever substantiated. Some believe they found refuge in another state, or even fled the country altogether, while others speculated that they may have met a demise of their own. And so we come to what is likely the most infamous spirit said to prowl around this haunt. According to legend, at least, the ghost of Kate Bender still lurks about the homestead, perhaps reliving the horrific acts she performed during her life. Some accounts even describe sightings of a shadow figure that resembles her venomous beauty, while others make claims of hearing voices that mimic her infamous charm. So it would seem, after a lifetime of tormenting the living, Kate is still continuing with her misdeeds from beyond the grave. This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. It's entirely free and takes about 30 seconds, and it would genuinely mean the world to me. Also, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic, I greatly encourage you to check out the show notes section on our website at hauntscast.com. This is the location where I share my sources and provide any visual aid that may be referenced during the show. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on Instagram at hauntscast, or you can join our email list for updates about the show. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, happy haunting. <laughs>